Turn in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, which we have been, we've been actually doing pretty well, going pretty fast through it. Um, <laughs> so we've been in it three weeks so far and we're in chapter three. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, so um, it, it's going to get pretty crazy here pretty quick. The, the book of Zechariah. So it's going to be really exciting. You're going to start to see some of it today. You're going to start to see a little bit more of it next week. And then when you get to the week after that, you're going to start seeing some crazy, crazy prophecy stuff happening, all kinds of stuff. So uh, it's, it's, we got some really exciting stuff coming up. And I'm very excited about what we have tonight for us. So let's uh, begin by praying, opening our Bibles, and uh, see what the Lord does. So Jesus, we want to we want to ask that you would te- be our teacher. Lord, you gave us this book for very specific reasons and and very important reasons. And God, we we believe that there is something very um just vital for our spiritual life and the health, Lord. Th- this is the meat that you've chosen for us to chew on tonight. And so God, I pray that it would be so powerful in our lives. And Lord, I believe I don't pray this just hoping somehow, like I hope the Broncos will win, that that something good is going to happen tonight. But Lord, I believe and I pray about it because I believe, God, that your word is powerful and your word divides our heart uh, and, and it helps us to um, see clearly and it helps us to breathe your spirit deeper, God. Help us, Lord, now as we look in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 3. Today's message is called Satan versus Joshua. Semicolon, how God can accept sinners. How about that? I'm starting to put subtitles in my name because I can't, I, I have one name and then I decide later, that's not the name I want. I want this other name. But then they both kind of go together and you'll see by, at the end, how it all is going to work together. So, Satan versus Joshua, how God can accept sinners. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, And then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So who is this? This is another vision that Zechariah has received. Remember, he's getting... um, uh, ten visions, eight or ten visions here at the beginning of this book, uh, right in a row, all in one night, okay? So he gets this uh, crazy night full of visions, and this is the second one. We've already looked at a few. We looked at how all these visions speak of uh, what God is going to be doing with his people, restoring them up. They've been in Babylon for 70 years. They're coming back, and God is saying, I love you. And I have a plan. I'm going to be working in you and working upon you to build you up because I care about you and I've chosen you. I've chosen you. And I'm going to do this. This is my project. This is what I want to do. And so we've seen that God is giving these visions to Zechariah. Remember, Haggai was the book right before this. And Haggai, he was like a buddy with Zechariah. They were the same time, same prophesying at the same time, giving encouragement to the nation of Israel. Yet Haggai was like real short. It's two chapters and he's just basically like, build the temple, get off your butt, let's go, do this. And Zechariah is like, brother, 
Let's let's take a look at some dreams or visions and and let's see what God may tell us and all this. So I love Zachariah's personality because he's kind of like my wife, a hippie. Well, she wishes she was a hippie, but sorry, bring that up in front of everyone. Now they all know. So Zachariah, he's getting these visions and now he sees Joshua. Do you ever you ever have a dream about a friend? And maybe you think it's like maybe important for their life or something like that. Well, he sees Joshua. Now, who who's this Joshua? There's a bunch of Joshua's in the Bible. And the most famous one is the Joshua that was Moses's little assistant guy who became his big assistant, who took over his job when he died. So Joshua was able to take them into the promised land after the 40 years of wandering around in the desert. Joshua was the one that led them in a great picture of God saving his people, giving them victory, God being with them. Because that's what the word Joshua means, is, is God with us. Yeshua, God with us, which is also Jesus' name. Okay? So, but this is a different Joshua. This is Joshua, the high priest. So the time they are coming back from this land, they, they still have kept their religion, and the high priest, the man who was supposed to represent the people to God and God to the people, the one who is supposed to be the pastor, is this guy Joshua. He's supposed to be the pastor, okay? And so it says here he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And if you were here last week, who is the angel of the Lord? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord that we're, we're looking at here in Zechariah, many times throughout the Old Testament, it's Jesus walking around on the earth before he even got his body. It's Jesus. In fact, every time you see God, as we studied last week, every time you see God, it is Jesus. Because God, the Father, cannot be seen by a human. We're told in 1 Timothy. So Jesus makes all these appearances. And here, Jesus is standing there. Joshua's before him. Satan is next to him. Bummer. It's not the guy you want to be standing next to. And what do you suppose Satan is doing standing next to Joshua? If you had to guess, encouraging him? (laughs) Being his buddy? He's probably like elbowing him in the side. and I I just picture him just being a a jerk, just a, a full-on bully. And in fact, what he's doing here is he is satanizing. I don't know if that's a real word, but it is now. He is satanizing because the word Satan, it means accuser. He is accusing. And that's what Satan is really good at. He can't get away from it. That's his personality. He is a, the accuser of Joshua. And he's sitting there and he's Jesus is looking at Joshua in this vision and Joshua's there and Satan's next to him and Satan's like Joshua smells. Joshua is lame. Joshua st- Joshua is a jerk. Joshua's dumb. Look at me. I'm a beautiful angel you created. I'm awesome. And this Joshua's lame Just I, I just made up that word. But I'm sure Satan makes up worse things for me. So. So he is accusing Joshua, and not only is he accusing Joshua, but who does Joshua represent? The whole nation of Israel. Satan loves just accusing the nation of Israel, just saying, they are so dumb, they are so bad, they are so all these things. How can you accept them, Jesus? How can you love them? 
And not only does he represent Israel, he represents all of us standing before Jesus. And Satan does the same exact thing to you and to you and to you and all of us. As we stand before Jesus, he says, go sit down because you're a jerk. Look what you did last week. Look what you thought about. Look how much you failed. He hates us. He accuses us. And he has a really good reason to accuse us. You know that? He's not all wrong. (laughs) That's the thing about Satan. He has a great reason to accuse us, and that's our sin. He takes our sin and he he throws it back in our face. And he said, and I can just picture Satan's outrage at being thrown out of heaven because he was thrown out of heaven. Right. God cast him out when he was prideful and he's outraged because he was thrown out of heaven for his sin and rebellion. Yet we get to stand before God and Jesus. And he's probably like, this is totally unfair. I was thrown out. They get to stand in front of you. Why? Look what they did. They sinned just like me. What makes them different? That's why in the book of Revelation, and we're going to start referencing Revelation a lot as we start studying this book, because you're going to see this book and Revelation, they go together just amazingly. In fact, when we get to the seventh and eighth vision, or seventh vision here in Zechariah, it's the key to understanding Revelation chapters 17 and 18. We can't, you can't have one without the other. So we're going to start to see this. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven saying, Salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before a God day and night has been cast down. So the day when Satan finally gets kicked out of heaven is going to be a great day. And we are going to throw a party. Because he is his name here is the accuser of the brethren. This is the future end of Satan. And it's probably crazy for him to know that that's how his ending is going to come, I think. I think he just is like in denial about it or something. If you remember, he stood also before God in the book of Job. And he, he was a great friend to Job, wasn't he? And all these things, and, and I just picture Job, and I, I picture me sometimes in, in, in my life, and Satan just saying, well, can I, can I kill him? Can I do this? And, God, and Satan, God, Jesus is like, no, you can't do all, you can't hurt him, but you can do this. And, and it's all for the point that I'll glorify Jesus, that I'll exalt Jesus in my life, that I'll, that I'll praise him. And that's why we pray, and Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Do you guys remember that? Your kingdom come. Because when his kingdom comes, that's that day that Satan gets kicked out. That's a restoration project indeed. And this book is going to get really heavy, really fast in prophecy. And explaining how this kingdom is going to come. It's going to be incredible as you and I go through this journey in this book. We're going to see how this kingdom is going to come So we all stand before Jesus, just like Joshua right here, in all our glory, just like Adam and Eve. Remember them? And then in the Garden of Eden, buck naked right before God. And it it was awesome. They had no fear. They had no shame. In all their glory, they they had nothing was hid before his eyes. And it's the same way we, we still stand before God that way right now. And so it doesn't do us any good to try to hide the things that we're going for, uh, that are, that are going on in our life, and we're going to see something right here. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, 
The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Then we'll read verse 3. For Joshua was clothed. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. This is crazy. So our clothes are not hidden from him. He sees our state and he still loves us. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, he saw them when they were pure. And then when they sinned and that glory departed and they were naked and they were shameful. He still came after them, didn't he? He went walking in the garden. He's like, Adam, where are you? Bro, I thought we were going to play some Xbox tonight. And, and he's like <laughs> hiding from God. It was it was sad. But God still saw them. But the question we have tonight is how can God accept us? How can God accept us? Satan's got a point. Our sin is terrible. So how can God accept us? So then we have verse 2 and it says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Rebuking Satan is kind of a, it's a, a almost popular idea. And I get this call on the radio fairly often, someone calling and saying, can we rebuke Satan? Can we rebuke Satan? Well, let me start by saying we are fighting Satan. We know from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world Forces of darkness in this heavenly in, in against and against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But the thing is, um, see, born again Christians are no longer enslaved to Satan or sin. But this does not mean that we are immune to the temptations he puts before us. The answer is, no, we are not supposed to rebuke the devil. That's not biblical. The Bible does not give a Christian authority to rebuke the devil. Look at what happened here. Jesus is talking to Satan. Jesus doesn't even rebuke him. Jesus says, the Lord rebuke you. He says, my father is going to judge you at the right time. And it's going to be good. Jesus doesn't even do that. So the Bible doesn't give us authority to rebuke the devil. But this is what I want you to tell your friends. When you have a friend that starts saying, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of this, that, and the other. I love their heart. I love their intentions. Maybe not their heart. I love their intentions. But they are mistaken. That's not how we go about it. We don't have authority to rebuke the devil, but to resist him. James 4, 7 says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, we have the authority that we have, the power that we've been given is to not sin. When he tempts us, we have the power to not sin by abiding with Christ in it through his new covenant. It's wonderful. It's resisting him. Not rebuking him. Also, when you're rebuking someone, it's, a, it's kind of a prideful, it can easily go towards being, having a prideful attitude. And I have heard many of those people say, I'm going to punch the devil in his teeth if he gets close to me. And it's not, that's not it. That's not humili- humbly trusting the Lord. That's saying, I'm going to take care of this. It doesn't work that way. So, 
In response to Satan's attacks, a Christian should appeal to Christ instead of focusing on defeating the devil. We should focus on following Christ and trust that he will defeat the forces of evil. We don't have to worry about that. Just look to Jesus. Like Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, not rebuking the devil, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Look at Jesus, look at the cross. And then it says, uh, he sat down, uh, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which takes us back to thy kingdom come. He's sitting at the throne of God till when? Till his kingdom comes. He's sitting in his kingdom right now. It's going to come upon this world and then we'll have this victory that we're looking for. So the most effective weapons we have against the devil is our faith, wisdom, and the knowledge of God and his word. Christ, when tempted by Satan, answered him with, rebuke you. No, he said, this is the word of God. This is what the word of God says and I trust it. So, I'm trusting the Lord. And that's a much better way to go. So, we get now to verse 3. And it says, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Standing before Jesus, Joshua had dirty clothes on. This perfectly describes Joshua, Israel, and all of us. We wear sin and unrighteousness like a robe. It's, it's just around us. It's all over us. Isaiah 64.6 is an awesome cross-reference for this because it says, But we all, like an unclean thing, are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. That means everything that humans try to do to make God happy, are like filthy rags. No matter who you are, you are not able to stand in your own clothes, in your own robe, which represents your own works before God. You can't stand. In fact, it is repulsive. And if you want to do a study, I'm not going to do it for you, but the word filthy rags um, is the Hebrew speaks of manure being splattered all over a person. Gross, right? But that's, that's not really the intensity of the Hebrew language. Um, you know, you can think soiled diapers, you can think stinking, but you will throw up if you do a word study on what this actually describes in the Hebrew language. It's gross, disgusting. So go do that yourself and tell, let me know how that goes for you. But that's what he says Joshua is wearing right now. He's wearing a robe that's filthy. It's like splattered manure all over him. He is smelly. And Satan's like, do you see this, Jesus? This guy is lame. This guy is unrighteous. 
And he's standing before he's stinking up your room here. Whatever room we're in, he's stinking it up. This speaks of Joshua's character. Joshua was the high priest at this time in Israel, and he was not doing well. He was unrighteous. His character was unrighteous. Israel's character, the whole nation at this time, was unrighteous. We, all of our fleshly resources that we can draw upon, and the wonderful results of, our, of those great efforts make us, are just like these filthy rags. You know, we are like the male steamer duck. Right? Because you you guys know that the the female steamer duck can fly. But only about a quarter of the males are able to fly. And only before they eat, the rest are too fat to get airborne. They use their wings as paddles and beat furiously against the surface of the water, but they're never quite able to break into flight. And I like that when thinking of us trying to, to be right before the Lord in our own works. You see, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, it says, But there was a, ki- a king came to see his guests, and he saw a man there who didn't have on a wedding garment. And Jesus is telling the story of what it's going to be like in heaven. And, and he says, this king goes in and he's looking around and, and he sees there a man who didn't have on his wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And I bet what he was wearing was one of these stinky robes. <laughs> how would you, could you imagine a picture going into a wedding and someone just wearing nasty manure covered clothes? Everyone would be like, What is going on here? That guy needs to get out of here. And he was speechless, it says. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. Spoken like a true wedding planner. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) If you want to try to go to heaven based on your own works, you have a sad day coming. That's what it's going to be like. Why? Because you have rejected God's way to be right. And Romans 10.3 says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Which means there's a way to be right, God's way, but when we try to go in with our own robe on, our own way, it doesn't work. So, how, can Joshua change all his clo- how could Joshua change all his clothes? He can't. But what we see here, because we have our, our series is called a restoration project, is we see Jesus can and will. Look at verse 4. It's awesome. It says, Then he answered and spoke to those who stood by him, saying, Who's this? Just Jesus talking. Jesus says, Now Jesus says something. He says, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So even Zechariah gets involved. He's like, wow, they're changing his clothes. Hey, give him a hat. <laughs> clean his, give him a clean turban. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. This is crazy. 
Only Jesus has the right to make someone clean. Only Jesus has the ability to make someone clean. And only Jesus is willing to do the work to make people clean. See, he says, I have removed your sin. I will clothe you with rich robes. Why does he take away our sin? Why? Why does he like to do this? Isaiah 43 tells us in Isaiah 43:25, he says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So does he do it because you're such a great guy? Does he do it because we ask him? Does he do it because we begged him so much? No, he says, I did it because I wanted to do it. Because it's me. I did it for my own sake. Because it, it shows people what kind of person I am. I'm someone who blots out transgressions, cleans up someone who has a nasty life, a nasty robe all around him, just disgusting, and sets him up in a place of ministry. Joshua was a high priest. Crazy. The next question is, to what extent does, does he take away these sins? And Ezekiel chapter 36 Verse 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So he says all of it. I, how, how much do I clean you? I clean you all up. All of it. Every single bit of you squeaky clean. You ever had a kid come in just muddy? You know, the real wet kind of mud that just is smeared all over. And you put them in the bath, and then you rub them with your soap, and then they get to the point where it's just squeaky. <laughs> when you're rubbing them. I love that. I love because it's like now you're clean, and their hair is just, you know, you've been using regular soap, so it's kind of, you know, not soft, but it's squeaky. Yeah, you'll get there. So in our daily life, we are able to stand before the Lord and, and with the Lord and in the Lord with no sin in this, in this perfectly clean state. In Galatians 3.27, it says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Well, those are some rich robes indeed. What did he say here in Zechariah? I will put rich robes on you. I will take away all your filthy, nasty robes, your life, all you brought to the table, take that away, and I'll put rich robes on you. And we've told in the Galatians, those rich robes are just Jesus himself. He clothes us with himself. His righteousness, his works. Philippians 3.9 says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, filthy rags, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith is these rich robes. Awesome. Rich robes for us. Put him on. Be found in him like you put a robe. You're inside your robe. You're all warm and toasty. I love that. I used to, when I was growing up, I used to uh, live, my mom lived way up in the mountains, like at 10,000 feet and way up by St. Mary's Glacier. And we had to snowmobile in. 
at, at, to get to our house. And when in the winter, it was cold, snowmobiling. And so we're snowmobiling in, and it was like a three-mile snowmobile ride. And we'd come in at 2 o'clock in the morning or really, really late. I don't know why we were always coming in that late, but we were. We, it was crazy. So, but we'd have to do that, and, and, and I'd, I had this big coat, and it was like a fur coat. And I remember just getting all up in it and, and like getting on the back of the snowmobile and putting it all up over me, and I was just inside this coat. And it was awesomely warm, and I was, com- I was protected from all this that was out, and I love that. And it's, for me, it's my picture of being in Christ. So how do we maintain this every day? How do we stay in that, in that coat every day? How do we stay in Christ? Well, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 says, And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, inside that jacket. As you daily come to the Lord Jesus and you take a bath in his blood, you are putting on these rich robes. You're putting them on. So how do you take it? That's kind of a gruesome thought, taking a bath in his blood. Weird, pastor. Well, it's, it's by faith. I'm not some crazy, take a bath in blood, pastor. This is a faith thing. You remember the cross and you apply it to your life. You thank Jesus for dying and trust the work he did there on the cross Day by day, you commune with him. You take communion, you eat the bread, you remember sacrifice, you drink the cup. You do that every day. Jesus said, do it every time you eat. Remember me. How often do we eat? Some of us more than others. But back in Zechariah, Zechariah says, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Jesus just loving everything that's going on with this guy. Don't you love that this is what Jesus is into? He doesn't care who wins the football game. He doesn't care what the latest movie is. He doesn't care the technology. He's into people. He's standing by just like, this is awesome. He, he loves just seeing the work done in people's lives. And so they put this turban on his head, and that speaks actually of a crown being given to him. A turban, something that went on the head. And, and the turbans that the high priest wear, the crown, do you guys, you guys ever seen this? I actually saw this when I was in Israel in November. The, the crown has something engraved on it in Hebrew. And it's, it's engraved holiness to the Lord. Right, out, right across his forehead. And that speaks of that the, the high priest's whole job was to, was to be set apart for the Lord, set apart to serve in the Lord. And isn't that exactly how it happens? You're all dirty in your life. You come to know Jesus. He makes you clean. You start spending time with Jesus, and pretty soon someone's like, someone should give that guy a crown. Put a turban on your head. Then you start, someone says, you should be in ministry. What are you doing to serve the Lord? You should be holiness to the Lord. You should be serving the Lord. Why aren't you serving the Lord yet? You know, are you clean? Yeah, I'm clean. Why aren't you serving the Lord? 
And someone comes along and says that, like Zachariah, our buddy here. He's like, why isn't this guy serving the Lord now? He's clean. And Jesus is like, you're right. Let's do it. Let's do this. And he does it. I love it. So where are you serving the Lord? Where are you serving the Lord at? I love it. But there's a, that's a very specific order. You get clean and then you serve the Lord. And if you're not right with the Lord, if there's an area in your life that, that you will not submit to God, and you're trying to serve the Lord, it's not going to work. Because you don't have the right hat on. You have the wrong turban on. Or you don't have any turban. I don't even know what a turban is, but you don't have it, right? It's not the right hat. And some people have many hats that they wear. The right one is very important. Let's say you were flying in an airplane. And the captain came out. And instead of wearing his little captain's hat... He had on a clown hat. It would be not very encouraging to all the people who saw him come out. Or you're going into surgery. You're expecting the doctor with his little doctor hat that protects the hair, whatever. I don't know. Keeps you from getting sick. But instead, he's wearing a motorcycle helmet. You know, it's just like, mm, mm. can we can we take a break or is there someone else that could do the surgery? It doesn't produce the right kind of confidence. And and it can be the same in ministry when there's a pastor or the people in the church who are serving or the people who are serving the kids in the back. There's something not right in their life. And you don't know what it is. I I don't know what it is. Maybe... They're just, they're just wrong. Some, there's something wrong. And they, they haven't made it right with the Lord for some reason. And, and, and they're still back there serving or, or I'm still serving. There's going to be a lack of power in that ministry. There's going to be a lack of effectiveness in that ministry. Why? Because God hates you guys? No. Because God is more concerned with the person than he is with the ministry. He's more concerned with me knowing God and serving God and loving God than he is about me being a pastor. And so, as we wind this time up today, because um, we can't cover all the rest over here, and it's getting late already, um, we're going to end with that one question if you're serving if you're not serving the lord and you're clean why aren't you serving the lord you should get your turban on ask jesus for your turban say jesus where should i be serving i want to be holiness to you i want to be serving you but if you're not clean if there's something you haven't held on or you're holding on to and rebellion against the lord come get it right come pray come tell the lord you can't make yourself right this is easy Jesus said, just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll take your burdens. I'll clean you up. I'll give you a new robe. And it's me. I'm your robe. And so, that's where we're at at the end of service today. Is it's, it's in your court. The ball's in your court. You know, and, and just go on with the Lord and see what the Lord has for you.
and and assess your life and see what the you know what the Lord may be speaking to you. So Lord, we just want to end our time in uh, just thanking you for all that you're doing, God, and in our lives, in our hearts, God. And I pray that you would uh, take us home safely. And and God, this week we would trust in you, God, that we would we would look towards you, you alone, for all that we need. In your name, I pray. Amen.